you've tuned in to the Get Connected podcast with Mike Agarbo and John Beeler. And we've got a lot to talk about today. The big news this uh, past week, Amazon buying iRobot for $1.9 billion. Just kind of staggers the imagination. What are they going to be doing with that? Are they using uh, all that mapping technology of your house to get more data on you? Well, we'll be talking with Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group on his thoughts of uh, Amazon's next moves. We'll also be talking about uh, Google and Sonos. Google really getting into the uh, digital smart home speaker space and Sonos suing them, uh, you know, a couple years ago about uh, some of the patents that uh, they say Google infringed upon. They actually won, but now Google's fighting back suing Sonos on a couple different lawsuits. Well, we'll tell you what that's all about and uh, what that means for this technology. It's time to get connected. I'm your host, Mike Agarbo, here with John Beeler. We have a great program today. Amazon purchased iRobot. The people that make Roombas, the robotic vacuum cleaners, for $1.9 billion. We'll be talking with our friend Brian Jackson over at the Infotech Research Group. What that means for you, these robots mapping your entire house. We'll also be talking about makerspaces and uh, with the folks over at Maker Lab, uh, a Vancouver makerspace, uh, which is actually pretty cool. You know, I think as we get more densified and more people move into kind of more urban living, we don't always have the room or tools available to make things. And so these spaces actually allow for that, not just like carpentry tools, but like 3D printers, laser etchers, like laser cutters. Laser cutters. Yep. It, it's, it's actually really cool and fairly inexpensive to join up and, and use these tools in these spaces. Without having to buy them because they can be very expensive. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Like 3D printers can be thousands of dollars. Just buying woodworking tools can be very expensive as well. Um, and we'll be talking about Google and Sonos, uh, kind of battling each other out in court over digital speaker technology. But let's get into some of the tech news first, John. This one kind of caught my eye. LG, popular manufacturer of uh, televisions, they've come out with, and I don't know how you get this in your house. I keep saying that every time they come out with a bigger size. This thing is 97 inches. It's an OLED panel too, so it's... yeah. Like really nice. And so this one offers 5.1 surround sound audio and it doesn't have speakers built in. So I'm trying to wrap my head around like, how does that even work? But apparently it vibrates, John. Yeah, it vibrates and generates the sound directly from the display without separate speakers. I don't even understand how that would even functionally work, but obviously it does. And I'm sure this thing's not cheap (laughs) either. No, no, uh, but ninety-seven inch like that is well, huge. It's, it's only twenty-five thousand euros. It's not bad when you think. Of, well, think about it. Like some of these things when they first come out, you know, every time we go to consumer electronics show, That's back true. in the day, oh, that new TV is a hundred thousand dollars. Eight K TVs and yeah, and such right now. But would you buy a ninety-seven inch? You just get a projector. I don't know where I would. That's like an entire wall. That wouldn't even fit in your place, would it? Well, it would be like my entire living room wall. Yeah. Which, you know, not a bad idea, but a projector seems less expensive. You could get a few projectors for $25,000. Yeah. Yeah. And that's US, right? That's 25,000 euros. Oh. Which actually right now is about 25,000 US. (laughs) 
not bad. But no, I love that. Like no speakers built in, but you can get sound because the whole thing vibrates. Well, I just wonder what the quality is like though. Because you can have sound and then you can have like good sound. It's true. It's true. Um, Walmart trying to build their own streaming service again. <laughs> yeah, as, as the headline that we're then reading right now, Amazon Prime Video, but make it Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you even, I mean, there's that space is so competitive. Do you know what I mean? Like you're up against Amazon and Apple and Netflix and, and Paramount. expensive because you basically become a movie studio. Yeah. In addition to a technology streaming service. I wonder, like, who at Walmart thinks this is a good idea? And what's, like, I mean, you got to have billions of dollars for this. Yeah. Well, especially to make it on a global scale. Yeah. So they're planning to uh, offer this, what, for like 100 bucks a year type thing? Yeah, you spend $98 for the Walmart Walmart Plus subscription. Yeah. Which is kind of like Amazon Prime. Yes. Um, but make it Walmart. Yeah. And then what? You get a bunch of crappy shows? Probably to start. I mean, Amazon Prime was crappy to begin with too. Yeah. But then they start spending money on it. Yeah. And it's one of the best service, one of the better services right now. But it's hard to even license material now, right? Like, because all the studios have created their own streaming services, right? You've got Disney, you've got Paramount, Hulu. Yeah, we've talked about that before. And like, it just gets crazy. And if anything, it would make sense for Walmart to buy up somebody. Yeah. Anyway, I'm fascinated to see, <laughs> to see where this goes and how long it will uh, last uh, as, as well. Uh, Amazon, they're beginning large-scale rollout of palm print-based pay payment systems. And we've talked about this. Uh, you know, we've had a chance to actually try it out uh, in uh, Vegas. It's called Amazon One Palm Print Checkout Systems. And they're going to be rolling it out to dozens of whole food locations, probably starting off in the U.S. Yeah, it looks like mostly California to start. And so this is interesting technology and, you know, we've had a chance to try it out. You've got to basically have some type of Amazon account or link it to a credit card. And essentially you register your palm print. And the interesting thing about the technology is you don't have to put your, your palm physically on the scanning device. It can scan your palm in the air. That's the part that I didn't understand at first because it's like, well, why would I want to touch that, especially in a COVID era? Yeah. Touch this glass thing all the time. But you don't. It actually uses a camera system to photograph your your, your palm. Yeah. Which is crazy. But it's amazing and it works. And it's fast. Yeah. Yeah. But is this solving a problem or is it? No. No, because we've got our, our phones now. How hard would it be just to tap your phone or tap your credit card? I was thinking about that, like, because I was going through the McDonald's drive-thru today. And I was just thinking, you know what? I don't even have to have my wallet. No. Like my, my regular wallet. My phone has everything in it. Or you just even your watch. And my watch. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I just like, yeah, because I just tapped my way through the whole experience. And I didn't have to take my wallet out of my pocket. No. Nope. So, like, again, most people have smartphones. And the people that would be using this palm print technology would probably have to be techy enough to. I have a few questions about this though. Okay. Okay. Obviously if you don't have a palm. Yeah. 
if you're missing an arm or something, you're not going to use this technology. But what if you have like a Band-Aid on your finger or even on your palm or something like that? Is this still going to work? We'll have to test that. We should, yeah. Big news uh, in the tech world this week, especially in the robot space, Amazon, who doesn't use Amazon, they've just purchased iRobot, the makers of the Roomba robotic vacuum series for $1.9 billion. Surprised? That's a lot of robots. It is a lot of robots. Um, But I wasn't totally surprised myself. Uh, You know, they've been getting into the connected space. They've, uh, you know, bought Ring and a number of other surveillance uh, security companies, you know, for the home. It's funny. I already thought that Amazon had some kind of robot vacuum thing. No. They didn't. No. They do have their Astro robot. True, but it doesn't vacuum. No. It's more of a home security companion kind of thing. Couldn't you strap a Dyson to the Astro? <laughs> you probably could, and you probably see something coming up. We've got uh, our favorite uh, guest uh, from Toronto on the line. His name, his name is Brian Jackson from the Infotech uh, Research Group to get some of his thoughts. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Always glad to be here with you guys. So uh, Amazon, I mean, what aren't they into nowadays? They're into obviously e-commerce, they're in web services, they're into space, robots. Uh, I'm sure this wasn't every day, right? Yeah, I'm sure this wasn't a surprise. I'm sure this wasn't a surprise to you either. No, it's not a total surprise, given that Amazon is so interested in the smart home space. And uh, as you guys just mentioned, rightly so, they've even announced uh, another robot that they want to sell you, uh, the Astro Robot. It's in invitation only phase right now. Uh, And when it goes on sale, it'll cost about $1,500 US. So pretty pricey, a lot more expensive than even the Roombas are right now. And I would argue uh, much less useful because it's basically this home monitoring robot. No, Amazon tries to sell you on the concept that it could follow you around and play music for you, or it could go throughout your house and find different people and, and deliver things to them or tell, deliver a message to them. But how big is your house that you really need to do that too often? And of course, when you're not at home, it would wheel around and be able to be like a security monitor for you. But people can solve that problem more simply and more cheaply with um, cheaper security cameras now. So I think Amazon, they see that they want to get into this useful home robot space and the most useful home robot on the market today is the Roomba. So why not buy that? I would have to agree with you on the useful uh, connotation there. I mean, Roombas have been around for many, many years now. And I have to say, uh, I've got three of them in my house and I love them. They work very, very well. I have three because uh, the challenge with these robots, they can't go up and down stairs. Like I've got like two levels on my bottom floor and then I have my upstairs. Yeah, you kind of have a, like a sunken living room type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, luckily I, you know, get these things into review. So I'm not spending thousands on robot vacuums uh, in, in my house. Uh, but they are very, very useful, especially the ones that have the uh, the base station now that sucks up all the, the dirt from them. Well, Brian and I were talking off air about, like I used to have one and I got rid of it because I had to clean up for it for it to because i you know i have cords on the floor or yeah. cat toys and things like that and, and brian now has a new baby as well so he's got all kinds of things on the floor that he would have to pre-clean for the Roomba to go yeah but the new ones have um some new sensors in them and cameras that can detect things like dog poo and cords and and things kind of in their way 
so there's going to be a big spot of not clean. Well, well, yeah, I mean, they, they don't know how to move things yet, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but um, why why do you think they did purchase them, Brian, besides just they want to sell more robots? It's all about the data, Mike. And people are a little bit worried about how much data Amazon's going to have about you and what new data could they have access to with these robots. So when you look at what the Roomba does is it, many of these models actually make a map of your house. So if you have either the 900 series model or any of the models that have the eye before it, uh, then you know when you open up the mobile app uh, and you look at the iRobot mobile app, it will show you a map of your home and you can label the rooms. You can set up no-go zones for your robot vacuum and uh, manage it that way. In fact, it can have up to 10 different floor plans. So if you have like a huge house, like a, a mansion with 10 different floors, you can have all 10 floors stored on one Roomba and move it from floor to floor. So people are a little bit worried about Hey, what what will Amazon learn about me uh, just from having the floor plan of my house, right? And while this floor plan is stored locally on your device, uh, it does have to be sent to the cloud so it can be rendered on that mobile app. And of course, you're going to use the mobile app to design the map to look at it. Uh, so everybody is doing that. And just think about how Amazon, who has an advertising business and wants to put you into a demographic profile, um, what they could learn about you from this data. You know, if you have four bedrooms over two, uh, that might put you into a more likely to spend on children's toys. Uh, if you have a room that's labeled guitar room or man cave, well, you're probably more likely to buy certain things like, I don't know, an NBA jam arcade machine. Than other people would be some good points there do you think because i know some of them have and i don't know to what degree these cameras are actually cameras because that's how they have the sensors right to determine what's kind of in their way yeah there do is a low resolution camera and um you know i've asked them about what can you actually see from that camera and i think that people have this sort of like movie idea that the iRobot employees are like seeing your household live in 8K resolution as the, the robot sort of like sears through it and they, they see you walking overhead. It is not like that at all. These cameras are extremely low resolution and they're not sending any video or images back to the cloud. Basically what that camera can do is tell the difference between a dark place and a light place. And it uses the difference in that information to make a very basic floor plan of your house. It doesn't know where your couch is. It doesn't know where your kitchen table is or where your cabinet is. All it knows is I can vacuum in this space. I cannot vacuum in that space. There's an obstruction there. So in terms of what it actually knows about what's in your house and the floor plan of your house, it's sort of limited to this map that it creates. So it's not actually a camera or is it? And if it is uh, a camera, it's really more of like a motion sensor type of thing where it just detects something. They describe it as a low resolution camera okay. that uh, detects the pattern between light and dark contrast points. Yeah. Right. So what next then, I, I wonder, like, do you think we'll see any material change in, in the product or kind of the services uh, they're offering? Are they going to go some sort of subscription model with uh, these vacuums? Turn it into an Alexis, Alexa? Yeah, yeah, put in, yeah, like a microphone so you can talk to your vacuum. 
I mean, it already had an integration with Alexa, so you could launch it. Uh, you could say vacuum my kitchen to your Alexa and uh, your iRobot would launch. So obviously that sort of uh, connection will continue. And um, I am curious to see how Amazon leverages the iRobot platform for their future robot plans. You know, now that they have this sort of mapping capability, uh, will that help Astro get to know your house better? Will it help uh, future robots that they build also get, uh, immediately know the layout of your house? They don't have to make a map themselves. You can just share it from your Roomba and now, um, you know, your laundry folding bot that they sell in the year 2030 uh, will we'll know where the laundry machine is, know where to put away your clothes. Are you concerned, Brian? Oh, because I have a Roomba myself. Yeah. Am I concerned about Amazon getting this new data about me? You know, when you think about it, Mike, um, if they wanted this data about me, I think they could get it basically from my postal code uh, and they would understand sort of the zoning area of, of my neighborhood. And from that, they could even look up the floor plan of my house from old real estate listings. So I sort of feel like this data is already out there. And if you wanted to make a concerted enough effort, you could collect it on me. And um, honestly, I don't know how much uh, more influential it's going to make advertisements that target me. So um, in, in the long and short of it, you know, how much of an infringement into your privacy is this really? I don't feel like it's the worst violation that we've seen by, by a mile in, in what Amazon is doing. Talking with Brian Jackson about Amazon's purchase of uh, iRobot, the Roomba people for $1.9 billion. I want to thank you for joining us again, Brian. Thanks for having me, guys. That was Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group. We're going to talk uh, making things now, John. You're a maker. Yes. And so when I say maker, I mean, that could be many things. It could be like a carpenter. It could be a 3D printing guru like yourself. Could be crafts, could be woodworking, could be just about anything. Well, we have a, an interesting guest in studio today. Her name is uh, Corinne LaRue. She is the general manager of Maker Labs in Vancouver. It's kind of a maker space, and these spaces are all over the world. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. So it's cool that she's here because literally the Maker Labs is like a block away from us. I know. We just see people on Zoom now. <laughs> That's, that is our, our life. So it's nice to see a human yeah. in, in here. So what what is a maker space? Um, so it's a uh, communal space where people have access to tools and spaces that they might not be able to otherwise. So um, especially in an area like Vancouver, where you're limited in spaces because, you know, all our living spaces are so small and the cost of living is so high. Um, and some of these tools that we have wouldn't really be accessible otherwise. So, um, you know, these are thousands of dollars uh, worth of equipment um, that not the average Joe would just go out and have access to. So th that's things like laser cutters, um, We've got CNC routers. Um, we just opened a pottery studio. Um, we've got a machining lab, so like some pretty high precision metal machining tools, um, electronics and textiles and all that stuff. So instead of having to invest in your own tools and have the space to do that, you can come into our space and then have access to this type of equipment that you might not otherwise. So if I walked off the street and I wanted to laser cut something, I would just uh, come in or call or yeah, book exactly. online? 
Yeah, so you'd have to take a class first before you can use the tool yourself because <laughs> um, we want to make sure that everyone's doing things safely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then once you do that, then you can come in and use the laser as you please. And Do you have the classes yeah. or do they have to take a class somewhere else? No, no, no. We, we run the classes. Oh, yeah. okay. So we run a variety of different safety and orientation classes that... Uh, anybody has to take regardless of experience. So even if you're a Red Seal carpenter, you still have to take our, our wood lab class just so that we make sure that uh, our bases are all covered in terms of safety. So no one's cutting fingers off. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. And how long are these classes? Um, they're pretty quick. Um, yeah. They're usually the three to four hours. Okay. Um, so it's just like a one day basic orientation to the space and the tools to make sure everyone can operate them safely. And then after that, you can come in on your own schedule and just, uh, you know, work on your projects independently. Um, but then we also have some more advanced programs. So we've got a couple of residency programs now. Um, we've got a tools for women residency. Um, so that has a little more support and that's about uh, more giving access to tools uh, for people of diverse genders that might not be in a, you know, might not have access to that in a traditionally male dominated space. Um, so that's been running for about three years. So um, yeah, they ha have the support systems and uh, while also learning the classes and the tools uh, and that kind of thing. And then we've got one that we just started this month um, that's focused specifically on woodworking. So it's designed for people that have no background whatsoever in woodworking. And then you learn um, how to use all the tools while also learning uh, how to actually assemble things properly and having the support to do so, and then designing your own projects and getting input on that too. So uh, just last week, we had a, a little sort of tour of the space. I haven't been in the space probably since pre-pandemic, and there's been a lot of changes. And the way I like to explain a makerspace to somebody that has never been to one, it's a candy store for nerds. Because <laughs> it's full of all the tools and toys you'd ever want to play with that you couldn't actually have. So, so like you're a total nerd, what was your favorite? <laughs> gear well they just got all these really cool metal laser cutting things they can cut laser uh, they can cut metal now there's a fiber laser which is really cool which lets What's you a fiber laser lets you engrave on metals and other things that you can't do with a traditional laser cutter and so taking one of your classes i would be smart enough after that to start etching my name into the side of my car door well i don't think we can uh guarantee that your intelligence will increase but okay. you're <laughs> <laughs> You'll have the knowledge to op to uh, operate the tools, yeah. And are there people there to help me if I needed it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have uh, a front desk staff, and then we also have our own fabricator team. So depending on you know what the question is and that kind of thing, we can have the people to help you answer your questions. The other thing we talked about when I was there the other day was the fact that basically the way this this particular makerspace works, it's a membership. Right, that's correct. So uh, you basically pay a monthly fee and then you have uh, a certain amount of access to all the tools per month. Yeah, so you can basically have access to everything per month. You just have to take the corresponding safety and orientation class before you're allowed to use the tools that you want to use. So do I have to have a membership to use you, anything? No, you don't. Okay. So um, we do have memberships, um, but we also offer a drop-in. Mm -hmm. So um, people can use the laser cutter or the CNC router on a drop-in basis. So they just pay per minute that what, the machine a, is running. What's a CNC router? Just, oh, it's a... It's, I mean, obviously I know. <laughs> <laughs> so CNC stands for computer numerical controlled. Okay. So it's like you're programming I still don't software. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just telling the machine what to do 
for you. What's so, the machine doing? So the machine would like cut out letters out of wood, for example. Out of wood? Out of wood. Yeah. Okay. So, so I bring in a piece of plywood and it'll cut it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Really? It's yeah. it's the reverse of 3D printing. It's subtractive manufacturing. Oh. So a 3D printer is a CNC, a laser cutter is a CNC, Got it. the router is a CNC. Yeah. It's, yeah. You just use a computer to control it instead yeah. of you like hand controlling, which you can do as well because they have a wood shop for that. I would lose all my fingers. Oh, no. It's no. actually really safe. Is it? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's super Or my fun. eyes. <laughs> like the lasers would get in my eyes. No, they wouldn't. No? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like how much does it cost to drop in and... Um, so just to drop in for the day to use the wood shop is, or the, like the metal shop is $40 a day. Um, Sorry, what? 40 bucks? 40 bucks. That's like so crazy cheap. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's not a bad deal. Yeah. Well, and con- then, considering um, all the tools cost yeah, but thousands yeah. of dollars. So, so how do you make money? Are you like a, pro- <laughs> are you like a nonprofit or a profit? We're not a nonprofit. Okay. We are a for profit, yeah. but, um, you know, how much profit that is, is debatable, but, um, we're a, a uh, group of passionate people, I'd say. Yeah. The other the other cool thing that you guys uh, have as well is um, you you have the ability to rent space to have your own little studio. Yeah. So we have studio spaces. So we've got a variety of small businesses and artists and makers that have their own dedicated workspaces within their uh, within the building. So and they have their own tools in there and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it depends on the tools. Um, we do have some uh, members that have like wood shop tools and their studios located right in the wood shop. Um, but then we have other members, for example, that do like robotics and they have their own electronics tools. Um, we've got quite a few members that do textiles. I actually have my own studio where I do stained glass. So I have all the tools for that in my space. So it, it really, there's a, there's a wide variety of makers within the building. So it's kind of a really, uh, it's a neat, neat space to be in because it's got that creative energy. Um, so it's inspiring to work in. It's like a big rabbit warren of people. Yeah. And you, you turn a corner and it's like, oh, there's somebody in there yeah. making something really cool. <laughs> and it's just a really fun place to be. So like how how prevalent are these maker spaces around the world? Um, it depends. In the last few years, there have been a lot that have actually been closing down. Oh. Um, so that's something we're trying to prevent. Because of all the money they're <laughs> they're not making. Yeah. Yeah. It's, tough, um, eh? it's a it's a lot of work to yeah. run it. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, I guess so, the pandemic didn't help. Well, I don't know exactly. Uh, for us, it wasn't bad because people had all this free time. Yeah. And then they didn't know what to do with themselves. So um, we actually were were pretty busy during the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Okay. With um, people just coming in and discovering new hobbies and that kind of thing. Um, now that, you know, uh, COVID has calmed down quite a bit, um, we're back to a, a little bit more of a, a normal pace for us where people are away in the summer and not making as much this time of year. Um, but yeah, there, there's spaces all over. There's a few in Vancouver. Um, we are the largest, um, and I actually think we're the largest in Canada. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's a couple in Calgary, I think a small one in Toronto, one in Saskatoon. So, um, and then there's a whole bunch down in like California and that kind of thing. So, but they're all over the place. So we just have a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. Let's tell them about your event today. Yeah. So um, on uh, Saturday, August 13th, we're having an uh, open house. Uh, it's Maker Lab Summer Social. It's running from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Um, so it's kind of our own little mini version of Maker Fair, which uh, used to exist uh, here a few years ago. So 
We're going to have uh, people can come into the space. And we're running tours at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. Uh, we're going to have some of our members, members demo demoing what uh, their projects that they're working on. Um, so you can actually see people making. Doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to have live painting in the parking lot. Uh, so some of our members are going to be doing murals and then we're having one collaborative mural. So anybody that wants to can come in and paint. Um, we have a DJ. We're doing a membership drive. So we're actually doing a discounted rate to try and, you know, continue to stay open and not um, have the same fate as some other maker spaces. So um, we're doing like a package rate basically for, I think it's over 20% off if you were to sign up for a month of membership in one of our classes. And then we're doing 10% off classes across the board. And then we've also got complimentary baked goods from uh, Florist too. I'm in for the food. Yeah. <laughs> we're uh, talking with uh, Corinne LaRue. She is uh, the general manager over at Maker Labs here in Vancouver. It's uh, a maker space that has all sorts of uh, different types of tools that you can use and a great area for people, especially in urban areas, you know, in condos that just aren't going to have a router or a, a giant laser cutter in their in their living room. Yeah. And where can people find out more information about this, Corinne? Uh, on our website, it's makerlabs.com. Uh, and then our event, we also have uh, tickets on Eventbrite. You don't need a ticket to attend. They're just free. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, all the information is on there about uh, the event. And then our website has everything about the classes and membership and that sort of so thing. So those that are listening live in Vancouver on this Saturday, it's today. Yes. Come on down. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm going to talk uh, Google and Sonos. I think we're all familiar with Google. Uh, Sonos is a speaker company. They make multi-room speaker technology. I've been using them in my home for probably, f I think almost 15 years now. Yeah, I have to say you've extended their life so long. It's, yes. it's, it's it, it almost seems worth the price now to me. Well, I, yeah, back in the day, it was amazing technology. You know, if you wanted to have um, music through all your house, um, they were kind of the best game in town. It was just easy. It worked. Uh, you could buy different speakers and they had like these amps that you could plug regular speakers into, but it wasn't cheap, John, like to your point. I mean, these amps were like five to $800 back in the day, Yeah. but they have stood the test of time. Like I still have them, some of them working in my house. Yeah. Which speaks volumes because there's not a lot of consumer tech that you can have for that would last that long. When you start talking more than a decade, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Even past five years now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Sonos really kind of perfected that multi-room speaker technology. And in fact, uh, sued Google over that. Google started creating their digital home speakers, um, which have been very popular. And the big feature they had as well is that you could have multiple Google home speakers in your house and they could all connect together. Well, Sonos sued Google over that and won. But now Google is suing them back for a few things. Because <laughs> they're upset. You know, it's just crazy, right? Do they, I mean, Google multi, I mean, they're a trillion dollar company almost, right? Yeah. But anyway, so they're suing them over a, a couple different things. Uh, one is hot word technology. You, you know, the wake word, I guess. Right. I didn't know that they owned the patents. <laughs> well, yeah, there's certain things though you kind of wonder like, you know, Amazon's been uh, very patent protectant on some of their uh, 
things as well, like their old website and how you can do one-click purchases and things like that, but also things like the wake word yeah. and other things like that. How does that, how does having a patent on that, like are they licensing that from Google, like Amazon? And and because someone says- Or Apple. Yeah, anybody, yeah. right? But also there's certain things that are sort of generic user interface type things that have become commonplace. So the the lawsuit, that particular one, was hot word detection and also wireless charging because some of the Sonos speakers you can wirelessly charge now. Yep. And the other lawsuit revolves around how a group of speakers determines which one should respond to voice input. Again, Amazon kind of does that too. Yeah, they all do it. Yeah. Yeah. So why, why aren't they suing Amazon and Apple? Unless those guys are licensing it from Google. You never know. Yeah. Anyway, it seems like a lot of tit for tat kind of, uh, yeah, suing. But um, you know what I'm surprised at, John? Like, why hasn't Sonos been bought by one of these big guys? Because you would think that that would be coach change for them, right? Yeah. Like, why hasn't Apple bought Sonos? That just to me, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Or you, you honestly now Amazon. Well, why doesn't Amazon buy Sonos? They're spending money. Yeah, they just bought iRobot. Yeah. And, and the Roomba vacuum company, right? They bought Ring, which was like all the security. Like they're really into the whole smart home. Yeah. And Sonos speakers fit in there. Like they're the best multi-room speaker system out there right now. At what point though, would they become a uh, a target for the government because they're the only game in town? Amazon? Amazon or anybody. I mean, yeah. Google's being, you know, threatened with their ad business and stuff like that. Like this whole anti-competition and... Anti-trust, yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. It, it's a slippery slope and maybe maybe that's why these guys haven't bought Sonos. Well, one, uh, of, one of the... Can I tell you my prediction in the next two years? One of them will. Okay. That's my prediction. Don't forget to listen to our sister show. It's called The App Show. It's on every Sunday across Canada. And if you're in Toronto, it's on Saturday nights. You get kind of like an early peek uh, at it. It's going to be a great program. We are going to be chatting all about the new Samsung phones that were announced. Well, new and kind of not new. New and improved. Yes. Uh, these are the folding screen phones that Samsung has uh, been leading with, I think, for almost four years now. And they've, they're kind of leading in that category, don't you think? Who else is... Nobody else is really doing the folding screen tech. No. So they've got the two phones, like the big kind of tablet one, the fold, and they've got the, the flip. Yeah. And so they got uh, Gen 4 or version 4 of these out. So we're going to give you all the details uh, on that. I should say, I mean, other people are doing folding screen phones. Yeah. But not like Samsung. Not to the level that Samsung has done. And, and the this, commitment. And the sales yeah. of them uh, as, as well. Don't forget to hit our website too, getconnectedmedia.com. We've got uh, lots of great how-to videos up there, tech reviews. And of course, you can subscribe to our podcasts uh, for both uh, Get Connected and The App Show. And we'd love if you uh, did that. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together, including John, my co-host and producer, and Robin back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.